Lista. Lista. Welcome back, everyone, to Intersectional Conversations with Mujeres Profesionales. Today, I have a very, very special announcement because we are starting another new segment, and this segment will be called Heart to Heart con Gio y Ana. And as always, I would like to present to you this new co-host. Hi, of mine, everyone. Gio. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! For today's episode, we will be discussing our experiences as queer women of color getting our bachelor's degrees. And we will dig a little bit deeper into our academic journeys in terms of balancing our life, our work, and our families within that yes, whole Yes, we definitely want to field. talk about our struggles and how we've overcome them, as well as how even my own academic journey is not as tradition is not your traditional college experience. And that's okay. You have to make time college meet your own needs and not the other way around. Yes. Exactly. And I'm so excited that you have joined our team because your voice is so important, Gio. And our voices, of course, are very important. But I think your voice in particular is one that um, people don't really get to hear because the emphasis is put on such a traditional journey on the college experience, right? And that anybody who doesn't meet that straight from high school, mm -hmm. straight to a four-year, then to higher ed, um, then you're like the the weirdo, right? And that's not true. I like to believe that non-traditional academic journeys are way more um, like not popular. That sounds weird, but they happen more than people like to believe. So, and I think that there needs to be way more resources for these students, right? And um, oh my gosh, and I'm sure no, you're yes, going to talk a little bit about that, right? Yes, but before we do that, y'all already know where I'm going. I am going to connect us back to the magazine. So if you haven't checked this out yet, please check out the magazine at latinachicaspeaksmagazine.com, where we do a bunch of different categories from art to social justice to keto recipes that are based in Mexican plates. And we can also talk about other various historical events, including birthdays of people we love, people we have lost, including amazing social justice um, leaders that maybe you don't know about and you should know about. You can also check out our podcast website there. Just click on podcast and click on intersectional conversations, which now will have a separate segment called Heart to Heart with Geo. So you can come check out our photos and check out Geo's bio. And you can also just check out our Instagram page at Intersectional Convos, or you can email us directly to our email, intersectionalconversations at gmail.com. Um, Gio, do you have anywhere that people can Sure, feel you free to find me on Instagram to? at Jovilis, uh, G-I-O-V-I-E-L-I-Z, and you can email me at Jovilis at gmail.com. Perfect. Please, guys, if you find something that you want to talk about with Gio a bit more or you have questions, she is absolutely free to answer those questions. Don't be oh shy. My God, yeah. So as I said before, our discussion is going to be around 
our experiences as queer women of color getting our bachelor's degrees. So would you like to start, Gio, since you are our new co-host around here? And maybe you can start with a bit of who we are, where did we grow up, where did we go to school, Sounds and good. where did we get our um, degrees in? Well, my name is Gio. Actually, it's Giovanna, and I use she and her pronouns. Feel free to call me Gio. Yes. Everybody does. Um, I grew up in Southern California. I'm a LBC girl, <laughs> born and raised in Long Beach. I know. Woo-woo. Um, proud woo-woo. of it. Okay. I'm not annoying LBC woo-woo. proud of it person. Um, yeah. And I'm when I actually, <laughs> what colleges did I not go to? And I think, you know, this is a part of why I'm excited that I get to share my story because Although it's not traditional, like you were saying, Anna, like that, you know, that quintessential, like, oh, you graduate high school, go straight into college, which which is like seared in everyone as the way to go, right? Mm-hmm. For for many of us, you know. But for me, it wasn't that way. Yes. And so I I went to City College. I started, I dabbled in City College in Long Beach, you know, Miguel. It felt so much like high school that I was like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> Is that because there was people yes. there from the like, high school that oh, I'm were there? So I'm going to go right? So I'm like, no aquí no me queda. And so I ended up going to Cerritos College. Tenía miedo. I didn't want to go that far and too far. So I was like, okay, I can drive there. Too far. And, you know, I ended up falling in love with Cerritos. And, and when I yeah. first started, I was like, I want to do psychology you know I want to know what makes people tick what's going on I want to help people you know and then um for myself as first generation like although 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 school was a big part of what my mom said she wanted me to do you know get and of course she wanted me to have this like bigger doctora abogada whatever that was you know um big titles right in her mind Mm -hmm. The so big title. It wasn't something that my mom was there mm-hmm. to support. You know, my mom is from Guatemala and my dad is from Mexico, the you know, Jerez Zacatecas. And and they're both and ironically, they're both the only people here from their families. Uh, I have, you know, my dad, uh, all of his family mm-hmm. is in Mexico, and my mom too, you know. And so if I know anyone here, it's like it's okay. like, you know, extended. Not yet, and so so uh chosen family is big for me hmm. you know and so and i think maybe that was hard for my parents yes. to inculcarnos like education because they had to work you know and the work was seen as like a priority so even when i graduated mm-hmm. high school even in high school girl i was always working and so for me work after high school was seen as a priority you know so I got very fortunate that I yeah I worked in places that I I found exciting and that I loved like I first my first job was at the Long Beach Mall okay but that was my jam because that's where I would go to the photo maker to take pictures of myself <laughs> yeah. and my friends I still have albums of, of the originals yeah exactly it's mem- you know they would go on their folders remember they had like yeah. they would we have get these card separators instead of like you know or they took that on the wall of the photo maker because they started to put pictures yes. on the wall so, so you were like okay i want to be on the wall <laughs> so, yeah. so that was my thing so to be it's working crazy. near that was like yes 
you know. And then I ended up, I ended up working yeah. out of all places. I came in montañas as a camp counselor at 19. Y aquí, you know, según yo, you know, like I could do it. I, I wow. had no but but I got lucky. You know, I got lucky. I got into the school district, and I and I was working as a camp counselor for a year. And I think. I think that was my first almost leaving home experience. Yeah. You know, I was listening to to your first podcast and listening to y'all talk about your experiences leaving home, you know, and I was like, dang. And though I wasn't there, I, I could so relate because yeah. I could see my family being the same way, you know, see myself, you know, those, those, those same experiences. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. for me, working at this camp was the first time I left home, you know, and and although it was like an hour and a half away and up in the mountains, like it was still yeah. like scary for me. Big deal. And on top, I was it's like, still big deal. Still yeah, like it's school, still a big you know? deal. And so, so I maneuvered that for a year and mm -hmm. I ended up coming down here. And actually, the camp, I want to say that that camp really propelled a lot of my life mm -hmm. because one, it took me away from my everyday life, you know, my parents, my home, my experience, other things. Two, mm -hmm. it's where I completely accepted being queer Yay! you know like at this case so i think there was like that dabble and that like mm. que siento así, but i'm not sure you know because my first generation so latina my mom's dream for me is this mm. white guy named chad mm. you know like, like like is this me you know and and it was hard <laughs> okay. so la mayor you know and like if i'm mm -hmm. queer what is that you know what does that mean you know because i have a i have a younger a brother pressure. and my parents have told me this is wrong you know everything i am tells me this is wrong right and so so here i go in this camp and i i meet this girl yeah. can i ask um what was their argument religion, or what was their like religion, logic around why is, it was always, bad yeah religion religion okay mm. same here same here a lot of people say well that's what it's used right to justify people's yeah inability yeah. to try to understand right and and of course people we want we want to keep it real like there is people who um can be religious and be open-minded and and there is people who are queer uh and are part of these spaces so um and they're trying to navigate that world still i think there's still a lot of work to be done in these spaces right but i also don't want to um say people haven't been doing the hard work there um and I also don't want to say that we're not there, but I do want to say that for a lot of us, the violence and the trauma does come from mm -hmm. the way religion how, gets used against and how, us, you right? Know, how that dictates your narrative, yeah. you know, from the beginning, you know, and and to me, I see religion more as like to me, it was culturally yeah. aligned, you know, spiritually, you know. I, I think myself, I'm more of a free thinker, mm -hmm. so I, I connect more to my elements, you know, but. Catolica was was culture, you know, mm -hmm. and and so so it was very conflicting. But but mm -hmm. at that place, I, yeah. I not only felt myself, but I also realized like I wanted more. You know, I I, I didn't want to be home and just work, and and what that would lead to me, you know, for me. So my first girlfriend uh, and had been working at a hotline for battered women, and. Um, she had worked there before and she told me about it and, mm -hmm. and I was really intrigued because it really mirrored my narrative like I grew up in a domestic violence home my dad was very abusive I mean my mom you know as well you know it's trauma-based you know 
we know we know that hurt people hurt people, right? And so, mm-hmm. so I'm watching this, and and it was just very much my narrative. And when she was talking about that and talking about doing good and helping, I wanted to. I wanted to help. I wanted to be a part of it. I think I, I fell in love at that moment, and I got very lucky that as soon as we finished camp, there was a position in their like domestic violence shelter. So I'm talking about the shelter where where folks go when they're escaping the abuse, you know? And they were looking for someone in the afternoon to like come support with the kids. And I was like, wow, you know, like, I would love that. I I have no experience, but I would love it. And and I got hired. Yay! And I'm like, dang, who's gonna trust me, right? Yes, a baby. And I got lucky that like, someone saw something, (laughs) I'll never forget, you know, the ED. And she gave me that opportunity and, and, and girl, yeah, we have to live. I like 20 years of working in the domestic violence movement. Yay! And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the work. I fell in love with the resilience wow. of our people because a lot of them are gente, you know, yes. they're, they're trying to be better and trying to escape the abuse and the trauma. Sí. But in then, in there, I, mm-hmm. I think I met so many folks that have made a difference, you know, working... I know folks in here, I, I want to say this because I know a lot of folks who are in the work who don't have degrees, you know, who, who their, their experience is, is the work, yes. you know, and that was me for a long time, you know, and, and maybe they've, they've been in the movement for so long that I, you know, they're not going to pursue higher academia and that's still valid, you know, um, that's still important to know that the folks lived experience and yeah. their work is important, but but what has evolved is the work. You know, folks are starting to pay attention. Yes. This is, in the 20 years that I've been doing it, this is no longer something que, que se queda callado. You know, this is no longer something in the shadows. Like people are talking about it and, and talking about DV within its intersections as well, you know? And so, so I realized somewhere along the way that I, if I wanted to do more, I yes. had to have more, you know? I went back to City College and, Mm-hmm. And I empezó, you know, I empezó, and, and it took me, it took me a long time back and forth. A lot of it was in line with the work that I was doing. I had to, like, either go full-time sometimes or reduce part-time or maybe one class. And Big so load. I did that, and I was at Cerritos College for yeah. a long time. But I did it. I was I was the night school girl, you know. And, <laughs> but you did it. But you did it. Yay! Yes. Yes. <laughs> Who can relate to that girl? You know, searching for that Mm -hmm. parking spot and and all of that, you know. And although it took me so long, I'm so proud of that journey because even though it was Mm -hmm. a full time or one class, I was I was still doing it, you know. And so um, it wasn't until about five years ago that I finally finished everything I needed to transfer. Porque cambié también. On top of everything, I also was like changing majors left and right because I couldn't figure myself. Which is so normal, guys. Like, it's so normal, right? Like, then we don't know that, right? Because as first gen, we think people show up to college. The idea is that you know what you're doing no. and you just do your goal and then you get out and that and it happens. And it's not even like that, you know? And I like to tell everyone who's going to start, like, if you change your major, it's okay. Uh-huh. If you change your major more than once, it's okay. Twice, three times. Yeah you know that it's not working just walk away like it's not it's not it's not gonna work out in the future for you because you're not gonna your heart's not gonna be in it 
you know? And yeah, as in, and as a person who is in a PhD program, I will say if your heart and soul are not in what you're doing, you will not finish. You, know, you will not finish because you need to have every ounce of your body wanting to do this because it's super hard, you know? And I think people think we're geniuses up here. No, we're not geniuses. I think we're people who just happen who are smart I'm not saying that but I'm saying who work hard and and do whatever is being asked of us and and do it when in a time whenever that we're being asked but it's just the ability to do it right the ability to be disciplined to be able to do it and to keep you know revising or whatever it is um and people have are like oh you know I, it's not really because you're such a genius and you can sit down and write 50 pages or write a whole book in a month it's like no absolutely not so all about um discipline and being able to sit down and write those things you know or or whatever go do the data or do the research yeah, or whatever true, so yeah. i just wanted people to understand right it's okay to change your majors and that these things happen and don't let anybody tell you, you know, no, or, or that that's not a good idea because they're not living your life and they're not going to live your life ever. And later in life, you want to be doing something that is going to feel like you um, are, you know, passionate about it. That's really what it is. Our first episode of my entire, the entire podcast to the magazine was, what how did we find our passion as people of color and and I think it's it's something that we do struggle with because in in a place where we're trying to balance like racism classism you know homophobia transphobia I'm getting emotional because no one's yeah. seen that girl like the shame yeah. that I carried for school for almost 20 years Mm-hmm. I carried it. Oh and my god, that's what it major, is. Yes, we like me sentía avergonzada and like why can't porque no podía cuadrar con esto, con esto, you know? And it wasn't it wasn't be, it was because it didn't fit my passion, you know. I changed it to sociology because I thought, you know, I mean me gusta el chisme. I want to know like why everything <laughs> functions a certain way, you know? Why groups function this way and like you know, like because I'm I'm that type of person. Yeah, yeah. That sociology would be the thing. But then it came to the research and I was like, nope, no get us, you know. Yeah. Like, and so, so I felt guilty about Yes, that's yeah. the problem, right? Like that that shame can also equate to not continuing or like, you know, dropping out because you feel like such a like sham or, or you feel so guilty or whatever. And and I've seen that happen to to my friends, you know, and I think that part um of my own you know, agenda being still in higher ed has always been making sure that students don't um, walk away, students of color, because when we talk about the data, yeah, they have this huge number of incoming students of color, but we all know that when you look at retention numbers, the numbers are so different, you know, and when you talk about experience, you talk about really painful experiences people go through that walk, and then they decide to walk away, right? Um, and I think part of the reason why um, we feel that guilt and shame is because, again, we have this imposter syndrome as people of color when we get to higher ed, and it and, and it's it's hard, right? Like to feel like you don't belong or like that maybe you shouldn't be there and 
Um, also part of it is like feeling like there's a lot of people you know in your life who deserve to be there and probably would have thrived in these places but couldn't you know, for for immigration reasons um, which means financial reasons because let's remind people people without papers pay almost triple the tuition um, even in community college I remember you know one of my very good friends quitting CC because they couldn't afford it and people are like, what? And it's like, well, you got to think people can't afford CC if they don't have financial aid. And financial aid is something people always assume is for everybody. And it's not. Um, yeah. And I think it's when we are people of color from the city and we're like, yeah, we all deserve it. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, you have financial aid. I'm in financial aid. We're all in financial aid. And then you find out, no, actually, financial aid is an asshole. And I'm happy are not in financial aid and um and need it and then you're like dang you know and that's another way that you know the university trickles these people out and um unfortunately there's nobody calling them from the university saying hey what happened how can we help you nope nobody oh yeah you know nobody you're out there yourself regardless of what's happening like i wish someone would have said like hey how's it going like how can we help you with this Mm -hmm. you know and for me to be like, well, you know what? I'm working full time, and and I know it's not 40 hours. Sometimes it's like 50 hours a week, and I'm still trying to make it here yes. for school. And like, you know, like no nothing. And and I think what you're saying is so liberating for me because because I wish I would have had someone tell me or a podcast that I could listen <laughs> to or something that that I could relate to as I was you know driving to school those days. Yeah. You know when it felt really fucking hard. Yeah. And. and and you had financial aid, so you had to meet these needs. You had to be at halftime, mm-hmm. and, and you're struggling on that one class. It's demanding more than you from you than anything, yep. and, and no one can be saying that. And, and it means so shameful for speaking up because you go home and your parents are saying, you know, tú naciste aquí, tienes todas las oportunidades. Uh, no yep. yep, like and at the same time, it's like, pero va a trabajar porque necesito que pagar. You know, it's like, right. fuck, you know, like fuck, you know. And, and I'm just trying to get by. I'm trying to make it, and then. And then for me, that out of there, working in domestic violence, mm-hmm. like I carried those with me, you know, yeah. as much, you know, there wasn't such a push for self-care than there is now within like the last, I want to say six, seven years, yeah. you know? So a lot of, there's a lot of burnout. It's still, like, it's still scratching the surface, the way people even consider, yeah. you know, mental health. Like it's still so superficial and it's unfortunately not where I still think people don't understand um, what that what that's like you know like drug addictions people like to connect that from a lot of other things I mean the passing of DMX is what I'm thinking of specifically yeah. like he struggled and I think for a long time people just kind of like checked out on this dude and um and then like you have these moments where he would come back and people would you know have fun with these little moments of his like him on the roller coaster and him I will never forget this version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I'm sure for here now forever for Christmas, that's a new Mariah Carey jingle. But um, unfortunately, the conversation around our men of color, even in the rap scene and their mental health, um, is not is not there. You know, we see Kanye West, and it's far easier to um count them out leave them at a rent Wyoming and to try to have a conversation about what that means you know 
Um, and Kanye West, let's like, I don't know if people know this, his mom taught African studies. Like, he is a very conscious man. You know, like, you can't just automatically think um, that this dude's just like this really, you know, disconnected Black man from Black culture because he's not. Um, and he is very much still a man of color who needs help, you know, and I think people misunderstand his moments of creativity as moments of sanity or as health, you know, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of artists are very depressed and like, you uh -huh. know, talk about Kid Cudi, you know, and him wearing a dress to, you know, commemorate Kurt Cobain, well, here are two who have struggled with mental health one who unfortunately took his life and another one who has been to that point right uh -huh. um and so these are conversations we don't really know how to have in our communities you know and um even therapy is still something people yeah, mental yeah. health and, and completely you know yeah. like wellness it's still taboo it's still mm -hmm. strange you know? i know within these recent, I mean, years we talk about it. Like that's why a lot of what I do on my Instagram and you've seen it, right? Yes. It's a lot about talking about mental health, about trauma, about, because I think like we've it swept it under the rug that these things, you know, continue to perpetuate and we're losing people, we're losing gente, we're losing, you know, we're losing ourselves to it. And, mm -hmm. and I think that the visibility of it is so important, you know, and, and taking it back to like, our students right mm -hmm. mental health and academia like I know you know like I said I know I'm not the only one but but it wasn't for you it wasn't until hearing you say like it's it's okay you mm -hmm. know that, that I've been like you know these 20 years and I'm like Fuck, me queda callada. like I did this on myself you know like but no it's okay this is our small break in between episodes to let you know about our sponsors so my next question I guess would be um, when you were signing up transferring from the CC to your four-year university what was that like in that time period like and from what it feels like you were working uh, still uh -huh. on nine to five right and um, did you have a family were you starting a family By then, yeah yeah and and I think so for me, like the last part of my, so by then, by then girl, I was already, I moved on from the shelter. I was working actually at, at a specific LGBTQ center in Long Beach. And, and I was doing this work within our people, within our community, you know, yeah. because my last classes from, you know, from city college were online. So I figured, you know what? No, the only way I can do it is online. I can't, mm -hmm. go to campus, you know, I can't as much yeah. as I loved it. I couldn't, you know, Yes. because I, I had all these things to juggle and I had my daughter who was our priority. So I decided to start looking for schools online yeah. and I, you know, I did my little spreadsheet and, and really the one that, that spoke to me was Southern New Hampshire University. Mm -hmm. One, because I just felt like within my, my degree that I was getting, and I finally had landed on human services. Yay! Like, what is it that I'm doing? You know, like, I, what am I doing? Like, I know a social, I mean, I'm, I'm going on to be a social worker. But then I was like, ¿Cómo se llama what I'm doing? Because I've been doing this for so long. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, human services. Like, that's what I do, you know. Yes. So I wanted something, I wanted something comfortable, you know, which was real for me. Something that I knew, but also something that I could learn more about. Like, like I, I've been here this long. You know, everything I knew was 
the photo like experience uh, on the job. So maybe there's yeah. something that that school can teach me that I can add to this work, you know. Yeah. And so so I landed on human services, and and really that was like the best college that I felt for my for what I wanted to do with the time frame, with the way that they were doing classes. And I called and I was scared. I was like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> because you have this picture of not being accepted or, you know, you, you quickly mm -hmm. go to like them saying, no, girl, like, no, you know, <laughs> so you got, yeah, not here. Yes, you got to pump yourself up, basically. I know, I was like my worst cheerleader. And so oh, I, no. and I was really lucky that the admission person was really nice and, and maybe they're paid to be nice, but, but it, it helped me. <laughs> You know, yeah, at that point, you know, and and I got in and and I remember sitting down to my first class. And and I will tell you, my, my wife is gonna get upset that I'm gonna say this, but this is real. No, she, she was really worried that I wasn't gonna be able to, you know, mm. yeah, because knowing that I had had city college and everything that I'd done, like, and now we have this your past, yeah, and, and she's like, How are you gonna do it? I don't think you can do this. You know, and and, yeah. and I don't blame her for that. Like, all these are about it. Let me pause for a second. Um, I just want you to know that what your wife told you is not something people don't get told, even in the academy, right? I have friends who who are mothers who are who have more than one child that they're caring for who have been told you shouldn't come to higher education you should not get your PhD you should not get your master's you're not if you're a mother. Psh, Count yourself out, and that's horrible. That's horrible. That's the most horrible way. But I think she's coming, obviously, from a very loving place because yeah. they see you twenty four seven. But these other people, what do they know about yeah. people who walk through their doors, yeah. right? Um, and to tell mothers from just the get because it's the easiest way to be like, oh, you don't have time because you're a mother, is a huge disadvantage to women in this patriarchy at its fucking best um weeding us out from the university because even when we become professors right to see us with our kids in the in the job site it's like oh you see a male professor with their child at school it's like Mickey Mouse came over and everybody uh -huh. was like a baby and shit and you're like yes like oh my god el papa trajo su hijo. but it's like oh but if we did it it's just absolutely like looked down upon you know and so we had seen as unprofessional yeah instead of like it being like oh I couldn't find a sitter it's like oh well you you know well you didn't even try or something and then for men it's like I thought it'd be a good idea to bring my child because you know the babysitter couldn't watch him and and everybody's like yay awesome you know mm -hmm. that day you know but women don't get that same um reaction or support yeah. And that sucks, you know, and so I just want you to know, right, like, because I think as partners, they come from good places, but I think um, we got to be clear that mothers are absolutely always derailed from school or, they're, or you're always turned off from, from going back or keep going because the idea is you don't have the time and you don't have the mental capacity, right? Yeah. How could you possibly be able to do that among all the various other things that you do. And and then when we talk about America, let's be real. Like these people do not consider housework work, of even course. though we're in 2021 and everybody's like, yes, respect the work in the home. I still don't think people grasp what that really means. No, um, at all. So, um, I think, you know, 
I understand. I also think like, um, it, I think it would have sucked if you would have heard it from a male pr- oh. professor or, or the the the, the person in admissions. You yeah. know, was like, oh, your mom. Oh, I think oh, you know. That's a lot um, of yeah. You think you yeah, that. yeah, because only your partner knows, right? And and I think that you proved your partner wrong. And I did. <laughs> and, and, and we have these conversations now, you know, because and I, you know what, and I haven't told her this, but I I I. I kind of processed it all now, ya que acabé, you know, because her, mm-hmm. her telling me that was my like, oh yeah, toma pues, watch. That was your know? almost like your motivator, huh? That was, that was like your little bit of like, pusher. No, 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 we can do this, you know, but, yes. but I do understand her fear was coming from like, you know, not only herself, like having to, you know, it was really hard. Like postpartum is hard and that's a whole nother conversation, you know? Oh but my God, yes. Go through postpartum and every how it affected me and, and now I was adding something else to it. Like, I think she thought I was crazy, you know? And, and yeah. I know it was out of love. And as, as I look back mm-hmm. on the four years, I, I look at how she supported me in ways. Maybe they weren't as vocal, but mm-hmm. you know, how she supported me by taking care of our the daughter, action. by making dinner, mm-hmm. or by, you know, by being there and, and handing me some food when I was studying late at night, you know? Yeah. All those things, those acts of service that, that maybe she wasn't saying it verbally, but she was doing she, to support us, you know, working, yes. you know, you know, doing the front load of the housework so I can, you know, dedicate time or even leaving me alone so I can dedicate time to work. Like I realized yeah. that, that in her actions, she supported me through that. And and it's the reason why I made it. You know, I couldn't have done this without her. Yay! So supportive partners, guys, yeah. find one. Yeah. Loving, supportive uh-huh. partners. And they're out there, my queer people. We are two queer women in healthy relationships. Don't let anybody tell you that because society is so homophobic or transphobic that you cannot have a healthy relationship yes you can uh-huh. and it's a it's an everyday work you know and you have to want to work on it um, and no one's perfect you know and I don't want to say like and if you think I'm saying the heterosexual fucking couples have it way easier um I'm not saying that either <laughs> like what I'm saying is um I think for a long time, I remember me and my cousins who were queer would always say, um, being in a gay relationship for one year feels like 10 years because everything's against you, you know, and you feel like you're in so many spaces at so many times trying to defend, you know, what you want and um, who you love. And eventually, like, you know, we experience healthy relationships and we're like, wow, this is what it feels like. It doesn't have to be violent and it doesn't have to be a confusing thing. And it doesn't have to be um, these different things that I think we, um, not that we allow, but that we kind of justify around the fact that, well, it's a, you know, it is a fucked up world. And yes, it is fucked up for queer people, but that also doesn't mean that we have to be fucked up to each other, you know, and it doesn't mean that we take the same pain or the same tools that we've learned from these ugly places and turn it on our on our lovers or on our partners right um I, and that's so, point, you know? yeah. and, and I think that's what makes the difference you know being in a healthy relationship it's 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 about growing together you know you're gonna you're gonna unpack a lot of your shit that's for sure um, yeah. you said it, yeah. it is every day you're working mm-hmm. at it you know, these things don't yeah. come easy. It's not that like walks on the beach and, you know, happily ever after you work at the healthy, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and you unpack 
unpack everything that each of you brought, you know, because mm-hmm. because it's that's what makes it important. And that's how folks grow. I don't think I've ever thrived so much than I have with my wife, you know, like, oh, my mm. God, like, I just let it out. Like every grief I had over the relation, everything, because I, yeah. it hurt, but it motivated me, you know, like I, I had it was just those things, you know, mm-hmm. even through my college experiences, like there's there's partners that go through there, you know. That, that yes, makes a difference yes. in in how you show up in yes. school and things like that. I remember mm-hmm. my, my last heartbreak up with my girlfriend. Like, damn, she broke my heart. I I was doing a full time <laughs> ride. Uh, it, it's it's Cerritos and Guanajuato, having this relationship with her, and she broke my heart. And it it was like three, three weeks before I know before finals. And <laughs> oh my god, I, I can't even concentrate. You know, but. I, yeah. But at the end of my last class, I had gotten my grades on that last night, and I and I had gotten straight A's on all three of the classes. Yay! But yeah, but having your tribe, having the people that love you, and having having that support, I think is important. And I wouldn't be where I'm at, or even pursuing my next steps, if it wasn't because of her. You know. Mm-hmm. Let's give it up for supportive Yay. partners. <laughs> Yay! Same here, girl. Like, I feel the same way about my partner. And my partner has been with me since my master's program. So um, they're, I think they're very strong to be with someone who, you know, has was starting off in, in the academy, you know, the professor career or whatever, where you get lost in the research and the data and the, and the classes and everything. And so... Um, sometimes it's hard to be in a relationship with someone like us and then you have to come back to earth you know and be like okay what's what what matters you know and what is making me not be a good partner or what's um, not allowing me to have a a life you know and I think it's really easy to get sucked into the academy but it's even harder to find a balance with it you know I think as undergrad or like when you're like in your first years, it's it's like you understand you have to have to have to like find time to do yourself. Right. Um, And then in higher ed, girl, like it feels like all day is your time. And then you never you never stop. And that's really dangerous, like super dangerous, you know, and um, sometimes you don't even know what it feels like to have time for yourself because you consider doing your work time for yourself because it's you know and you don't you don't know anything beyond that was me like I didn't know how to meditate and sit still and not think of anything I just knew how to like always think and always go and always make sure I was doing everything I needed to be doing right so self-care is like so new still to me but I think it's also a generational thing and like we talk about therapy being something that's taboo I think it's part of that self-care we don't really um, reach out to because of those things at first you know Um, and sometimes we do I'm not trying to say I never did because I have and I still do and I still want to and I feel like when I do become a professor I'm gonna pay some good ass therapy (laughs) I need it I know I need it and I'm keeping it real you know and um and if I could, I would pay for my oh, mom's yeah. therapy, you know, who 
Um, and then when we talk about, you know, our parents who come from war, like we totally want therapy for them, you know, but do they want it? No. Do they want to revisit yeah. that? No. Like a lot of the time, um, the way trauma is handled generationally is to hide it. And unfortunately, the generations that come next are trying to figure out what the hell is it that's been hidden because it doesn't feel right. Um, and then you find out, oh, like, you know, when your families come from Central America, like mine, um, sometimes our histories, our family histories don't start till you've migrated here. And, and when you ask for more, they're like, I don't know what you want. Like, we came here and this is our story, you know, here. You know, and there's nothing beyond that that you that's important. Like what? Like so, we were born over there. Okay, that's it. But you don't realize. Oh, there's just painful memories there. Like why would I even want to go back to those things? You know. Yeah. But to move those memories to the side, um, and actually reach memories that are beautiful, that are meaningful, that are um, something you want to share with your kids or the generations that follow are rare but when you find them it's a little piece of hope right like I remember one time my mom remembered um this this beautiful like yard or garden that used to be by her house that she used to run these flower gardens and and she was like wow I haven't had this memory and I've never had this memory and it's been so long and oh my god I can like like I can literally see the garden and it was beautiful because um I'd never heard my mom talk about her past with that energy you know and I could tell that she herself was like wow this is possible like I can enjoy memories of El Salvador and I can reminisce with like no hesitation and like just utter happiness you know and share it with my daughter like that was really cool you know but I will say it was like recently you know and I'm in my you know mid-30s so it took her you know, a long time, you know, 30 years, basically, to be able to even just find a childhood memory that wasn't painful, and that could bring her joy, you know. Um, So yeah, when we talk about trauma, girl, it's like, we we pull me like years and decades of crap away. I was thinking like, I don't think I know any like memory of my mom prior to her teenage years, you know. Yeah, like, see, like they like yeah. don't, yeah, they don't have any other memories aside from the ones from when they get here, and 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 I think it's part of the trauma, and um, you know, we hope that they do eventually get you know to a place where they uh-huh. can find peace, and maybe maybe you'll learn a little bit more about them, you know, but if not, you have to yeah, be okay oh, yeah, with it, 100%. you know, for a long time, I wasn't, you know, I was like, I don't understand my mom, like, I really don't understand her, and, like, I would like to understand her, I would like to understand why she was so, like, violent, you know, and, like, why she was so mm-hmm. um, crazy sometimes, you know, and then you realize, oh, um, this stems from something way deeper than just, you know, um, bad parenting or something you want to on, yeah. you know, it's not even Girls, that, you know, about my mom, so much bigger you know? <laughs> yeah, because it's so yeah. easy to blame that, right? Like, be like, oh, my grandparents were fucking yeah. fucked up or whatever. And it's not that easy. It's not even yeah. that black and white, you know? And that anger, that trauma that just comes out, you know? She's, you know, and, and, and I think you can, like, 
pin that for next time but like you know that that, that perspective yeah. <laughs> of like central americans you know are violent and aggressive you know guatemalan salvadorians you know that that they you know come out this way and and, yeah. and i can attest to being raised by a central american mom like yes you know the, the conversations are loud and yes she goes from zero to 100 super quick you know and, and, mm-hmm. and all of that but yeah. then as we pull back the layers it's like wait like like what has happened to her that, that this is how she engages her life yeah. and as a mom yeah. now mm-hmm. like me trying to dismantle that like i talk, i'm telling you i talked to my daughter in a whole different way my mom like you know the chance that would happen <laughs> first before i even heard anything you know like yeah Yes, you just, and, and in my you? head though, there's there is that Central American mom saying a million things, you know, and calling a million things, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things, mm-hmm. but they're not coming mm-hmm. out of my mouth. So it's for me, I'm like, fuck, thank God for, like, for the work that I've done or whatever I have in my head that pauses me to not say that to her. You know, I'm I'm trying mm-hmm. to, to work on your on, on things, these traumas or these these tra- not traditions, but these like ways of being that were were existing when we were growing up right and that we may not want to carry over to our own parenting or to our own adulthood or to own womanhood or motherhood or whatever um but I think sometimes we forget that they're even there right because there's such a big part of our whole families that um takes an outsider sometimes to be like yo that's not cool right and you're like what what do you mean you know and then you think twice and you're like okay wait that is a problem that is sexism in my family or whatever you're okay <laughs> well um i think we've said mostly oh everything God. we wanted to say here <laughs> do you have anything else you want to add about the experience with your bachelor you know other than like understanding that it's you know it may not be in the traditional sense but that you gotta just find your way you know find something that fits you and 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 like you said compassion and con ganas and con amor i think you get there you know and and like i said i'm not that high school to college person but i'm it doesn't make my bachelor's any less, you know, any less than anything any less. else, you know. Yes. Well, guys, I think this is where we should say goodbye. I hope that you guys enjoyed our conversation and that this heart-to-heart, our first heart-to-heart, um, really impacted you guys or maybe you're going to share it with someone you feel is going to be impacted by this conversation. Um and of course, you do not have to be queer to be impacted by our discussions. There's so much that um, we can relate with each other that goes beyond just sexuality, right? Um, and I think when we have these conversations, I hope that our allies are listening, right? And that our families are listening sometimes um, to understand us, you know, a little bit better um, and maybe um, seek the help that maybe you need right um to educate yourself or i think sometimes people hear these things and they're like oh my god i can't believe it took me this long to understand or it took me a complete stranger to understand it and not my child or my you know whomever in my life that i couldn't understand I and completely that's agree. kind of what we hope we I, do I here right you we want to ensure that this you know that there's a story yeah. to match your narrative and 
if ours does, I thank you, you know, and it, it doesn't have to fit, you know, exactly the same. Yeah, but it but if you resonate exactly to your story. Keep coming back. There'll be more. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Gio, for today. Thank you for being so open to this podcast and for like opening up absolutely on your personal life to absolute strangers, including myself, because <laughs> I want you guys to know that me and you have never met, yeah. <laughs> but we are we are BFFs now. We're like super in our lives. And I think sometimes that happens because of our vulnerability, right? And um, we have such tough lives sometimes that when you find people who um, are as resilient or who are struggling sometimes with the similar or or just like big issues that um, you can relate to, you kind of gravitate even faster to them, right? Um, yes. And that's what I feel. It's the you, with the like, oh my God, you're forever, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. And if you know you really enjoyed this podcast please give us a like please follow please come check out our instagram add us um also check out our magazine there's a lot of things to check out there at latina chica speaks magazine.com or you can hit um podcast and find out all of our podcast shows including this one heart to heart con geo which will in a few days have its own page and you can check it out and check out our bios um and also you can check out uh, intersectional convos on instagram like i said before at intersectional convos uh, we do have a twitter but it's a little bit different it's intersect convos um we also have a tiktok for the magazine where we've been sharing a little bit of the audios from intersectional conversations and i'm sure we will be sharing heart to heart con geo there too so if you want to check it out that's at latina chica speaks and of course, if you want to contact us, you can contact us at intersectionalconversations at gmail.com or the magazine at um, latinachicaspeaks at gmail.com. Um, and Gio, do you want to tell sure, them one more time on where they can find Jovi-Liz, you? G-I-O-V-I-E-L-I-Z. And you can email me at jovilis at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope you keep coming back. Let us know what you think. We definitely will be back because as you can see, me and Gio have various things we want to talk to you about. And um, we're so excited. And I really, really appreciate your time, Gio. Like I, you know, I know we don't know each other, but I feel like this project has already become its own little like passion project of its own just because of the vibe oh, you bring you, so you just too. know this project is super fucking thank awesome thank you for being here and, and thank you for creating the space and all mm-hmm. of the podcasts mm-hmm. I mean I think it's so important and I appreciate you and thank you for bringing this voice into mm-hmm. my life and everyone else's oh girl are we gonna like end crying here like stop it oh my god let's not do that <laughs> Well, everyone, this is where we say goodbye and maybe with a few tears today, but um, that's what a heart to heart is. So thank you so much for listening.